Welcome. This podcast is brought to you by The Seat and Shine. We are your hosts today. I am Lisa. And I am Bridget. In each episode, we are looking forward to sharing stories about individuals who have ties to Elizabeth and or her mission. Today, we're going to discuss Sister Anthony O'Connell. She was a sister of charity who spent um, almost her entire sisterhood in Cincinnati. Um, She's interesting to me. I knew little about her and I knew about her through the Civil War because I did the Civil War tours here at the Shrine, but there was really so much more to her. I think she's a favorite of yours too, right? Uh, Yeah, she is. So back, oh gosh, I can't tell you how many years ago when we were doing the Civil War Sisters Exhibit, um, we were trying to expand beyond Emmitsburg and the Daughters of Charity work during the Civil War as sister nurses. So um, Sister Judy Mess just led me in, in Sister O'Connell pathway, Sister Anthony O'Connell, and um, said, you know, look at this this individual. And ever since then, I had just been really intrigued by her. What's really interesting about Sister Anthony O'Connell is that she was really kind of more of the first sister that is after Mother's Day time that I really was able to focus on. You know, right. in even in our podcast so far, we have always talked about individuals who knew Mother Seaton. And so now we're getting ready to get into someone that didn't know Mother Seaton, uh, didn't come to Emmitsburg, correct? She just did, um, she took her vows here, Mm -hmm. but she was here for a very short time. That's what I thought. And then she went immediately over into Cincinnati and that's where she spent the rest of her life. But she originally is from Ireland. She is Irish. Right. um, (laughs) Right. She was born in Limburg, Ireland in 1814. Um, she's just a, about three years old when they're hit with the first famine. They called it the minor famine. Um, they had a significant failure of a potato crop. It was due to cold, wet weather. Um, and then they had an outbreak of typhus. So, you know, just as a young baby, really, this is what she's born into. She's born into starvation. She's born into death. Um, and it, it was bad, although they called it minor. 2% of the population died. Yeah. So to kind of put that in our terms, um, we have about 330 million people living here in the United States. So that's about 6.5 million people dying. So it, it was a lot. Um, it was enough for people to start leaving Ireland. And that included the Obamas. That's where you start seeing a huge influx of Irish immigrants coming into even New York City. And um, and going from there, so right. but yeah, if you know history, you know Ireland is not easy living. Right, um, right. They, they right. really were exposed to famine, not just in the early nineteenth century, but even later on in the mid nineteenth century. Right, and I think it's important to kind of remember that with her um, because she was born into, like I said, that starvation and that sickness. And I think when a baby, when a toddler is kind of developing and they're starving, you know, that kind of, I think, sets the path for them, you know, and, and it did. And so her family moves here. We're not sure the exact date. We're pretty sure it was around the early 1820s because she does go to school with the Ursulines. They settle in Boston. The Irish lived in the Northern end of Boston and there were about 7,000 of them by 1830 living in that area. She is now going to school with the Ursulines and that's where she did her entire education was with them. But life wasn't easy in Boston either. 
Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, you're still up in the New England area, which is predominantly a Protestant area, and anti-Catholicism is right. still in existence. Right. And she was smack dab right in the middle of that. Especially a lot of the Irish were. Right. Um, they were very cool. Right. Uh, the the uh, Americans were very, and I say that with quote, American, <laughs> uh, were very cool towards the Irish population. Right. Um, and and what's interesting is it's the same kind of thing. They call it low-level attacks. And, and yet this consisted of their homes being burned, their schools being burned, their stables being burned, their animals were killed and like hung on their porches. So this was to me kind of terrifying, especially as a child, like you go to bed, not sure if your house is going to be set on fire. Yeah. And it's really unique to um, Anthony O'Connell when her mother died, you know, she, they just moved over into America, right? They are experiencing all this turmoil, um, prejudice, right? And her mother dies, and she's now twelve years old. So it's just her and her father. They're living in this area where they're having these consistent attacks. The Ursuline Convent and School, where she had done all of her schooling, is set on fire and destroyed. Now she had just finished her education there, so she wasn't. going to school there when it happened, but that still had to be devastating. I mean, this mm-hmm. was a huge part of the community there. That's where most of the kids went. Now, do you, Lisa, do you think that the Ursuline kind of contributed to where she ends up going in life? Well, we know that she becomes a sister of charity, which we'll get to in a minute, right. sharing that a little bit more. But right now, early on in this our conversation, do you think the Ursuline really helped shape her life? Well, I I don't know that much about the Ursulines, but I obviously they gave her a very good Catholic education. Mm -hmm. But I think looking at her, it was what she was experiencing, you know, in Ireland, experiencing that death and starvation in Boston, experiencing that fear, that rejection, that hate um, and seeing people's lives being torn apart, their homes being destroyed. You know, most people would run away from that would want to get away from that and yet she seemed to be drawn to it like wanting to help people like oh these people are devastated i want to step in and help and so i think it was more her experiences the way that she had formed in her life that drew her to the sisters of charity because that's the work they were doing doing so they were serving the poor and the sick and providing education as well right but um after mother's seating time they were really the sister of charity of St. Joseph was really trying to expand their mission, you know, um, doing a lot of work in the orphanage and so forth. Yeah. yeah. And this seems to be the direction that she goes, which I, I just, I'm going to keep going back to it. I find it just really amazing because most people would have run away from that. They would have wanted to forget that because it was so hard, but she didn't, she had that compassion right away. She wanted to help people and make their lives better. We see that immediately. And I think that's why she chose the sisters of charity so she joins the Sisters of Charity in 1835. Um, she's about 21, 20 years old at the time. She's only here um, for a little less than two years. She takes her vows um, on March 25th, um, and then she heads off to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. <laughs> and her first really her first assignment is working in St. Peter's Orphanage. Right. And so she, like you said earlier, she will spend the rest of her life there with the exception of the Civil War. Um, 
And it's interesting, they describe it like she had to go over mountains, there really weren't any roads. She had to, you know, go these paths over the mountains, over the Alleghenies to um, Cincinnati, which was basically a fort then, it was Fort Washington. Um, and so she does see over her time there, this become a major city, you know, it really changes a lot. So when she gets there, the, the um, scenery is a lot different. You know? And in the little bit that I have read, that are actually what you would call um, diary entries, you know, a journal entry. That she is, um, she put those descriptions in there. Um, so if you go to like Sister Judy, now we're going to Civil War, but if you read Sister Judy's book, she compiles a lot of Sister Anthony O'Connell's letters into the Civil War Sisters of Cincinnati, is the name of the book. And it's again, it's like you read through it and she's so descriptive that you can actually see it playing in your head. Right. You know, um, right. So, and, yeah. So when she gets there and she's at the orphanage, she sets to work right away. Like she does these, they call them begging trips to the market. And she would always tell sisters, um, you know, how she, how she would do it, how she would acquire these things. Um, one of the sisters wrote that with her Irish wit, she delighted in entertaining the sisters with tales of her experiences and how often her homeliness of features paid dividends in acquisitions of donations. Yeah. It's so funny, homeliness. <laughs> I, I don't know. When I look at her, I don't think she's homely at all. I, I think she is a very pretty, like, Irish woman. Like, you right. see the Irish feature, but... Right. And, and, <laughs> that's funny. And maybe that's what, because there was that, you know, prejudice against the Irish, maybe that's what they were alluding to. You know, um, there's one story that says that she was in the market bargaining for chickens to make some broth for some sick orphans. And a salesman told her, if you were pretty, I would talk to you longer, but you are so damned ugly. <laughs> no, I thought the so damned ugly. Uh, you might well go your way. Yeah. Right. right. So, um, you know, wow. <laughs> but there were people that came, you know, came to her defense um, while Another story, while pushing through a crowded passage in a market, a big um, young man, a butcher, taunted her um, by picking up a bull pup that was dozing under one of the benches and throwing it in her basket. Immediately, another one came to her defense, another butcher, um, leaving um, the instigator in a heap on at her feet. Sorry. Yeah. So he, you know, maybe he beat him up. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, I know, but it just sounds to me that um, somebody recognized the situation and became her protector. Right. Right. You know, and right. just actually came out. And this is, and this is interesting because it's probably definitely not such an Anthony would have expected that. Right. So I'm wondering if that actually made a profound effect on her. Right. And, um, and he then gives her 200 pounds of meat. Yeah. So, um, and then he proceeds to introduce her to some of his friends there in the market. And by the time she left that day, she had a whole wagon full of donations. So yeah. this kind of became a regular thing that yeah. they started giving to the orphans and giving to her. So she finally, they're finally getting the support that right. they needed from the community, not right. just them begging. Right. Right. So, yeah, you really start to see that support. You start to see that kindness through the community. They start to recognize um, you know, who she is, they all come to know her. Um, and she's kind of doing this for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. And she's 
very happy going yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah, she's working tirelessly through the city's um, poor children, you know, but coming through the kindness of the community. And, um, and it, as you read more into it, you start also seeing um, her ministry involving, like her own ministry. Like here she is working with orphans, trying right. to get supplies for them rations for them, taking care of them. Then she really starts honing in on medical skills. Right, which, you know, you know, I kind of find amazing because she seems to be very talented when it comes to those medical skills that you're talking about. And, um, and people are recognizing that, you know, people are starting to give her credit for her skills, um, even in surgery, you know? And so it's, it's interesting, like, how did she have the time to do that and start studying but it's over those 20 years that we start to see that change um now she's in cincinnati for about 15 years when you know they have the split there's a little bit of a break um well, i have a question for you lisa so um when we were meeting with sister regina um we did a podcast with her she's a sister of charity of new york and we were talking about um elizabeth boyle who was the first mother of new york where, um, but they still look at Elizabeth Anstein as a Baptist. And out of our conversation, what really came to light is that there's kind of two groups of sisters and and the way that they approach their vocation. You have one group where these are sisters who knew Mother Seton and you just kind of see Elizabeth just, um, yeah, I don't want to say ooze out of them, but they really use her as a model. So you can see it's like a reflection of Elizabeth Hanstein in their own um, personality and their work. And then you have the other set of sisters who did not know Mother Seaton. Um, and they had to learn through other sisters. So it's right. either they worked with sisters who knew Elizabeth. So therefore, you kind of see a little bit of, I guess, maybe the uh, the charism kind of still coming out, you know, that little, right. everything that a little bit model. Right. Um, but then as years goes on, these sisters that knew Mother Sheen or worked with them, they're no longer there. So everything gets turned into like old tradition and right. the sharing and stuff. So looking at Sister Anthony O'Connell, she did not know Mother Sheen. She came after her time. Right. Um, did she know anyone? Was she working alongside with uh, sisters in Cincinnati that knew Mother Seaton? Yes, I mean, she worked with um, Sister Margaret George. Okay. So she's she's there with her. Um, and prior to the break, okay. um, Sister Margaret George is like the sister servant. So she's mm -hmm. kind of in charge. Um, okay, so she is working closely with someone. Yeah, and, oh, they, and they are very close, um, mm -hmm. as we'll see. And, um, and I think that that's where she got it. I haven't quite figured out like the right the right words or whatever. And I don't want to discount any sister um, that has come after Mother Satan that didn't know oh, her yeah, and the yeah, work yeah. that they've done. However, there just seems to be something about those that knew Mother Satan and Mother Satan herself and, and the way they went about their work and their their thoughts. And I don't I don't know really what how to explain it, but you well, can I mean, see the goes, difference. I think where it really comes down to is when you start getting into the mid nineteenth century, and the Daughters of Charity Parish France again is invited over into Emmitsburg. You know, um, they really want them here, and it's been a long time effort to getting the daughters to come to America. Right. And but like 
you know, after meditation time, these the missions are happening from Emmitsburg, and these sisters are finding themselves staying in those locations. So they're staying in New York, they're staying in, right. um, in Cincinnati. And so I think that, um, well, I kind of all of a sudden lost my track of thought. <laughs> but my thing is, I think that what the, oh, I mean, never doubt. What these sisters wanted was to, again, hold up the true founding of Elizabeth Ann Seton of women religious in the United States and upholding what she started right. and not at any all discount to the daughters. It's just right. where, just where their stance was and they're human. You have to respect that. So Right. I mean their whole their whole thoughts are on the person in front of them, the person mm -hmm. they're taking care of. Yeah. And you know, we've we remarked that about Elizabeth Ann Seton that, you know, she had all these women around her from different walks of life, different needs. And yet each one seemed to be, you know, we go over and over it again. Oh, this was the one that was closest to her. No, this was the one that was closest, closest to her. her because she made every person feel that way. She really focused in on what that person needed and beyond the sisters, the orphans, the townspeople, you know, everyone that was around her, her family members, you know, they just all felt like she was focused totally on them. And I think that's kind of what you see. And I think those sisters that knew her, Margaret George, Elizabeth Boyle, they felt very strongly about not changing things yeah. and keeping the sisters of charity, not becoming a daughter of charity because they didn't want to lose that. Yeah. Well, you know, change is a big thing too. That's right. just human. Right. That's always a human challenge anyways. So. Right. So, okay. So we have, so Margaret George is in Cincinnati right. with sister Anthony O'Connell pretty much, um, following her, using her in the model. She's right. a sister servant, so she's directing Anthony O'Connell and what right. she and needs so to do. When they when they make the break, when they decide to become daughters, every sister is is given the opportunity to choose what they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, sister Anthony chooses not to become a daughter. So at first, those first few months, there was no longer going to be a Sisters of Charity in Cincinnati. They had no one supporting them. And so these sisters didn't know what they were gonna do. Mm -hmm. And Anthony O'Connell was just one of seven that decided to stay. And they were eventually um, added to the diocese of Cincinnati. Archbishop Purcell takes them on. He's going to be their director. Um, and so they're kind of saved. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there were some rough months there these sisters thinking they would have no home. And most of them, like Sister Margaret George, like Sister Anthony, had no extended family. Right, and because her father had, by this time, had, had died. died. Right. And there is no siblings. Right. So, um, and they're getting older. And, you know, so what what is going to happen to them? So there's this little story of how um, Sister Anthony was looking for Sister Margaret during this time, and mm -hmm. she found her, you know, very upset, in tears. Um, and Sister Margaret is basically saying, I guess I'm going to have to go to the poorhouse because I don't have anywhere else to go. And Sister Anthony replied, not while I have two hands to work, at the same time promising to stand by her superior to the end. I think that is a key moment where you see a strength in Sister Anthony O'Connell. Right. Like she is going to be a strong woman. She's like, right. nope. <laughs> right. Like, we'll wait until hell faces over before something comes on. And I think it has to do with how 
the environment she grew up in. Right. And she's like, you know, I've been at the worst of the worst and look where I am. Like, you always move forward. And I think that's why she's such a huge advocate for these orphan children, because it's not the worst. You just got to find the right right timing and place of things you know and sister margaret's like in her mid-60s by this time Mm -hmm. so that was very old then Mm -hmm. (laughs) so she wasn't going to get any work yeah you know she was going to be living in the poor house and so that i'm sure was very frightening but again sister anthony's like it's okay this isn't anything that i haven't seen before Mm -hmm. and you know i'm going to take care of you which i think is just really lovely so you know when margaret george became the elected Mother Superior, this is one thing I do know is that Sister Anthony actually retains a title herself and now she's the pure curatrix. Right. And um, and I always like, when I learned of that, I'm like, oh, you know, it's, it's so fitting for her to be that, taking on that role and taking care of the finances as well. So I often wonder, like, hmm, I wonder if Sister Anthony O'Connell have ever met Sister Sally Thompson <laughs> and compared notes about really pulling well, she from their resources her. and knowing how to help the community. Right. She would have met her. She was here during those two oh, years. Right. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, they would have okay. known each but other. But they really, really know each other. Like, I'm very curious. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, she was very good with the, you know, the begging trips to the market and things like that. But she just had a way about her. I think a very quiet way about her. She didn't have to, um, you know, be loud or angry. She could just go really? about her way. Oh, I always took Sister Anthony as a force to be. Oh, I think she with. was a force, like Mother Seton. Right. But she just didn't have to. She just had a way about her. She didn't yeah. have to yell or anything. She got her way. You know, yeah. and so. Shortly after all this happens in the spring of 1854, they open a new orphan asylum and, you know, the archbishop visits and he's just so like happy. There's 160 orphans there and everything is beautiful. It's on this beautiful property. However, it created a lot of debt. So Sister Anthony just holds a concert, a musical concert, and people had to, you know, gave donations and the debt is relieved. So she's like this, you know, this isn't a problem. You know, I can take care of this. So she was very good at raising money and um, very good at her job. But she never, um, everything was always for the good of the person that was sick or in need or the orphan. You know, it was a new hospital, a new um, orphan asylum. So that was always her main focus. Yeah. Um, It's going back to, you know, usually people run, not run away, but just sort of, if they're constantly facing hardship, they don't really necessarily continue to run towards it. You right. know, they want to they want to improve themselves and live a better life. Where right. she, I don't want to say she ran towards it, but she really, um, I, I think that just left her. She wasn't with her lifelong, of it. well, her lifelong right. um, vocation of right. the desire to take care of the poor, the sick, the victim, the right. helpless. Right. And she continues to do that. Right. She wasn't afraid of it. It didn't make her sad. It was like, okay, we've got work to do. We, you know, there's ways to help them. I'm going to jump in and, and do it. And that she just continues to do that and continues to do that. And then we get up to war being declared. Exactly. This is where everything that she's been doing her entire life, she really becomes a force. Right. And during the time of the American Civil War. Okay, so just before um, the Civil War, um, Sister Anthony is now at St. John's Hospital. Mm -hmm. She finds herself appointed director of the hospital. 
Um, and this is where she's getting a lot of training. So this was very providential, I think, because just within a very short time, she is asked with several of her other fellow sisters um, to go to Camp Denison. Um, they have a measles outbreak, like 12,000 soldiers have measles. So it's a huge, huge outbreak. Um, uh, is, wait, is this just general soldiers or are we in the Civil War right we're now? We're in the Civil War. Oh, okay. So but even like right before, again, her work at um, St. John's yes. Hospital, where she becomes the director, like her her reputation has started to really come up because right. she's very orderly. You know, she right. really started to run this very smoothly. She has the right. skills, she knows what needs to be done, and she's training sisters. And I think all her work with that really started coming to an advantage um, during the Civil War, once the war happened. And right. her right. first like real assignment is Camp Denison. Right. Um, and I where, think to be removed from director and asked to go do that, they really saw something in her. Yeah. Like they needed her. Mm -hmm. You know, and so and she willingly goes. Really you know. goes. Yeah. So oh. yes, there is about twelve um thousand union soldiers and there is a measles outbreak and as you learn from civil war history the um the cause of death isn't really from the battles right it really is from um infection right. and diseases right um, right i mean unsanitary conditions and right and yeah. soldiers were actually well, more afraid of getting sick mm -hmm. than they were of actually dying in battle you know, because there were so many measles, smallpox, typhus, I mean, rheumatic fever, there was just so many um, things that were happening. And the people that were there, the civilians that were there, the doctors and nurses, they were willing to let a lot of them die because they didn't want to go near them. They didn't want to get sick. And so they would just have them in tents and just let them die. They would right, pretty gosh. much not help them at all. Right, right. But <laughs> um, to Anthony O'Connell, you right, know, she really right. uses her latest like nursing techniques and right. and her, and it earned her praises by right. the officers from Camp right. Denison. Right. And so and she continues to stay um, with the army by early 1862. She's made her way um, to Kentucky on the Cumberland River. They would have these um, floating hospitals on the river. Mm -hmm. And so they would transport soldiers from the battlefields to these floating hospitals. And this is something I find like amazing. Like I was stunned when mm -hmm. I read this. Um, she devises a plan to take the ones that are most in need to the hospital ships first. Okay. And you would think that would be common sense, yes, yes. but it wasn't, you know, they were on the battlefields, you know, and I, I'm trying to imagine, you know, there's shots being fired and everything. So it's like, just get them off and right. get them to the ships. And so someone that was need of surgery could be put behind, could wait for hours on the battlefield and people ahead of him would be people with a broken arm or a sprained ankle. And so to her, it's like, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. We need to do some work here, get things organized so that we can save more lives. And it's something that we do all the time today. Wow. It's actually it, called triage. Triage, right? Yeah. And so she is the one to invent that, which is, it's just shocking to me. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm just so like she surprised. probably didn't realize it at the time <laughs> no. what she was putting in place, right. but it really became a very like a must practice. Right. Like right. you must do this. You have right. to triage 
or triage. 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 Sorry, excuse <laughs> my pronunciation. I know how to spell it, but triage. Um, and she does this in a war zone too. And um, yeah, like she really gets credit for that. Right. Um, from the president, right. Abraham Lincoln himself. Right. She gets credit for that. And I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier. She liked things orderly. So mm -hmm. she wanted the patients to be in an order, mm -hmm. you know. And so to, to her, I think she taught them there's value in taking that moment to look for the patient that's most in need. Mm -hmm. And where before I think their thinking was get as many off the battlefield as you possibly can let them figure it out on these tiny hospital ships. And there just wasn't the space to do that. So, I mean, it was brilliant, but I don't think it was something that, I think it was something she just naturally did because of her personality. Maybe it was some of her past, I mean, you know, and just everything she experienced um, from birth on really, you know, taking the most sick first. But I, I will admit, I feel like it's been a while since I've read Sip to Judy's book. And I, I will admit, I have not read The Irish Nightingale of the Civil War. So I really want to go back and read that book the minute I have time to do that. <laughs> but, um, but what I took from what Sip to Judy put together are her letters. And the, like I said, she's very descriptive. She does not really hold back. But one thing I didn't really get is that she Yes, maybe she might have been physically tired from time to time, but she wasn't tired. Right. You know, she wasn't at despair at any point in this because she even goes to Shiloh. And right. as we know, Shiloh is one it's the bloodiest battle right. in the history of um, the Civil War. Um, right. And it and, is just raging there. And right. she goes there. And she just doesn't go as just a regular sister. By this time, there's um, the Sanitary Commission, which was a private agency that the government kind of developed. Together. Mm -hmm. And they have uh, George Curtis Blackman, who is like the top surgeon in the yeah. country that is willing to be part of this. He is on that hospital ship that is heading towards Silo. And he picks his staff. They're like, you can have anyone you want. Well, who does he want as his chief assistant? The person right next to him is his Sister Anthony. Anthony. So um, she actually becomes part of the Civil War. She actually joins um, the Army. So she is a soldier, really. Um, and she is heading, like you said, to Shiloh. And they, they have heard what's going to happen. Um, there are nearly 23,000 soldiers that are injured or die there. So, um, you know, they, they get there and they jump right in. They're um, moving people, moving bodies um, right away. And she makes no distinction. And she wants the people right, exactly. under her to make no distinction. Yeah. You see a body that's in need, you take care of it. You don't ask where they're from or who they are. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would imagine that um, even for, because like you said, they, they really saw her as a member of the army, of the Union Army. Right. And for her to have to be like, no, these are men. Right. Doesn't matter what side. Because you right. usually they tend to stay to their side, you know? Right. And she really fought through that. And right. I really, um, you have to admire her for that if you can understand the time where the, the, the mindset that this country was in it was so so divided um yeah. and i you think know, um, we, there's many famous stories where even siblings find themselves on opposite ends right and they just do not um 
Right. And I think yeah. um, if you can kind of place yourself in the chaos mm -hmm. of the battle, like yeah. here's all these people dying, you know, and you see your union, you see a union soldier that's in need and she takes a Confederate soldier first. Yeah. I'm sure that could not have been easy, yeah. you know, because you have this loyalty, you know, to yeah. your comrade. And, mm -hmm. and so I but think she tapped back into what had to be done, the, the triaging where right. it's like if the Confederate soldier needed the most right. urgent attention and the union just has a broken arm leg, like, like, right. So, and, um, so she really became known here in Shiloh among all these men on both sides as the angel of the battle. Right, right. And, and she's out there, like she's out there. They see her, they recognize the habit, uh, which I can't even imagine in the heat <laughs> in that habit <laughs> and being my age, yeah. <laughs> you know, and she works all day. And then what does she do? She goes back to the ship mm -hmm. and she's in surgery. She's yeah. right next to um, Dr. Blackman. She's doing surgery with him. So what an education, you know, she's yeah. getting. Um, yeah. And she's learning so much. And just day after day, she just keeps going. Um, like I said, um, by September of 1862, um, at the request of the Sanitary Commission, she is in the Army. The Catholic mm -hmm. Church has officially assigned her to the U.S. Army. Um, so she is running the nursing team at the base hospital in Nashville. Um, and not only, like we said, is she taking care of soldiers by this point, but she's also taking care of, of slaves, runaway slaves. Um, there's a smallpox outbreak that's happening yeah, among the slaves. Camps, yeah. And she is, you know, having them again, come in. <laughs> right. Well, again, it's not just north or south, but it's even color you know like there's no white there's no color like there's nothing like it, it's right. a person this person that needs help right and that's what she saw right and it's right. beautiful actually um, it said that her influence during the war was immense even the grouchiest officer could not resist yeah. sister anthony um there was a contagion to her goodness so um she you know People couldn't stay mad at her. People couldn't stay frustrated with her. They really came to respect what she's doing as as what was right. And she gets to meet lots of people. I mean, there's people, um, you know, Grant, Sherman, Sheridan, McClellan, Rosencrantz, even Jefferson Davis, you know, president of the Confederacy. They all know her. She's met them all. Um, they're, you know, they're just another person to her. Yeah. Um, but they all admire her. Yeah. And here's what, taking it one step further, not only is it like all men are equal, you know, that kind of taking that phrase, all men and women are equal and she treats who she needs to treat. But her exemplary um, work and effort and kindness, like Angel of the Battlefield, it really led to also the um, the cease of anti um, Catholic Catholicism right. like right. sentiments like it right. really decreases that right. and there's now getting to be a shift of how Protestants are viewing the Catholic the right. the the respect is coming around that you know we, after right. years and years of this. You know, maybe these Catholics are a good thing. Right. They're so, not horrible people. Right. They... Right. Yeah, for sure. I, I think they're seeing that. We see many, many stories about that. Um, what I find really um, lovely about Sister Anthony 
is that um, she would look at other sisters on the battlefield and she would admire them. And she would be like, oh, they, right. they're so good. They do such a good job. Um, she wrote, um, were I to count all the good done, conversions made, souls saved, and columns would not suffice. Often have I gazed at Sister DeSales as she bent over the cots of those poor boys, ministering to their every want in the stillness of the night. Here, whom she gives a cold drink. Here, another whose amputated and aching limbs need attention. There's an old man dying in whose ear she whispers the request to repeat those beautiful words, Lord, have mercy on my soul. This is where I see Mother Seton and Sister Anthony, because... It wasn't that she was envious. She didn't look at another yeah. sister and be like frustrated, like, oh, I want to be like them in a um, jealous kind of way. Yeah. She looked at them sincerely like, wow, they're doing such a good job. I wish I could be like that. Well, I think it probably reciprocal. And Sister Anthony oh, did I'm it sure. really. I'm, I, I'm I mean, sure. it wasn't just like, well, I don't mean to put Sister Anthony on a pedestal here, but um, I think it's because she kept such great accounts to what was going on in, in her life that and other sisters did too but it's just I don't know she has such a presence for me but yes there were other sisters that really made a mark too and right. serving everyone with grace and and they were humble and you know humility and it's just really shown so yeah I, I get it it's like that envy there it's not a sense of jealousy it's just they're all in it together. Right. Yeah. And she saw the, the beauty in their work. Right. And yeah. she was like, oh, I need I need to be better. I need to be like them because, wow, they are amazing. Yeah. It's, it's done in a loving way and in an appreciating way right. for the heart. It's not easy work. It's right. hard work. Right. And, and that's how we see Mother Seton being. I mean, so many times Mother Seton would be like, oh, this sister is so good at this or that, and I, I wish I could could be like that. And yet she was like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And so um, I just think that's a beautiful thing about her. I think it, it shows what kind of person she was. And to take the moment in all that chaos to recognize yeah. other sisters and yeah. see what they're doing and just how they, they, they took care of everything. They took care of their medical needs, but also their spiritual needs. Well, this is where we're going to end this week. Wow, Sister Anthony has such an amazing story. And, you know, of course, we don't want to leave anything out. Right. So we're going to continue her story, find out what she does for the rest of her life when she comes home after the Civil War. Uh, great. So next time on Friends and the Followers.